The Ringer Gambling Feed is your one-stop shop for all things betting throughout the NFL season from week one all the way through Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. We have you covered every which way. We got our favorite futures. We got props. We'll discuss the lines. And of course, we'll throw in a few parlays. That's a given. So whether you're a sharp or a square better, we'll be breaking it down in terms hopefully everybody can understand. And we'll try to win some money along the way. So be sure to subscribe to the Ringer Gambling Feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nora Princiati. And I'm Steven Ruiz. And it is Saturday night, divisional round night one. And we finally got a good game. Uh, the Ravens beat the Texans in a blowout in the afternoon, but 49ers Packers delivered finally some second half lead changes. Finally, a game that came down to the final play, which it did. Dre Greenlaw picked off Jordan Love and that ended what had been a really, really entertaining, uh, somewhat stressful and interesting lot to unpack NFC uh, set up for the title game next week where the 49ers will play in their fourth NFC championship game in the last five years. And they'll play the winner of Lions Bucks. Uh, there was just so much that happened in this game. Steven, where do you want to start with this one? Uh, should we start with Brock Birdie and well, the fact that he struggles to throw in the rain? I got to make it negative, but I I feel like we have to start with Brock Purdy because that's going to be the question after every 49ers playoff game is like, is he going to do this thing? And so far, so good. One for three. He's got two more to go, but he, he barely escaped this one. But when, to his credit, after playing a poor game in the rain, I did think he played a, a hell of a last drive. That last drive was like, that's what they needed him to do. And he came through. He made a couple throws, a couple outbreaking throws with a wet ball. So kudos to him where it's due. I, I don't think he he deserves kudos for the first ninety percent of the game, but the t- last ten percent he he deserves them. I I get that there's like a a clutch narrative, and you got to win the game at some point. So and he deserves credit for doing that. I just I to me the idea that that final drive, where I mean yes he made a couple throws to the sideline on on the outbreaking stuff, which had been much more of a problem in the earlier, as you said, 90% of the game, this is, it is really hard for me to get over how bad he looked in this game and to not think that it, it should be, I mean, you know, credit to San Francisco for winning this game. Uh, I said it in the intro four NFC championship games appearances in five years. That's a really, really impressive streak. Good for them. Uh, he couldn't hit a, the broadside of a barn for yeah. the vast majority of this game. And I know the weather was bad and he had the glove on and then he took the glove off. But first of all, I mean, I know his hands are smaller than Jordan loves, but like the way that they were talking about on the broadcast, I I saw someone tweet. It was like, um, who's the Charlie Brown character pig pen who just has the like cloud of the rain cloud over him at all times. It was like, there's just like a little rain cloud following Brock Purdy around. And, and he was the, I mean, Jordan love did not seem impacted by this. Brock Purdy no. seemed so severely impacted where it was hard to tell who he was throwing to right. a lot of the time. I mean, that was, I, I am, you know, look, this is not a, a super Brock Purdy enthusiastic podcast. Brock Purdy, I think, usually looks a lot better than that. 
And to have that be, you know, maybe it's some combination of the weather. Maybe it's some combination of having, what was it, 21 days off since the last game that he started in. I suppose my takeaway from it is that if you're San Francisco, you better hope that it's that. Because if he, if this is what Brock Purdy looks like in, in the playoffs, I, I said it a little bit tongue in cheek before we started recording, but like, congratulations to the Detroit lions on going to the Super Bowl because at a certain point, particularly because we don't know what's happening with Debo Samuel's health, if he's going to miss some, some time here, it, it just, at a certain point, the skill position talent becomes not enough when one, the quarterback just cannot make an accurate pass. And two, Kyle Shanahan continues to still put the ball in his hands and yeah. ask him to throw. I mean, Brock Purdy finished the game 23 of 39. So uh, he dropped back 40 times in this game. I I just, I I would be nervous about that. Do you think that I'm overrating the conditions, the how much the elements affected him, maybe some rust? I don't think you're overrating the elements. I think the elements were the main cause of it. I mean, we saw this in the Cleveland game. I think it's not a, a matter of rust. It was the same exact way the ball was coming out of his hand when they played Cleveland in the rain and he could not. It was the same situation where like you didn't even know where he was throwing, who he was throwing to at times. I don't think it's going to rain again next week. Uh, I think it's not going to be an issue for the next two weeks. And if it does rain and their opponent is Jared Goff, guess who has even smaller hands than Brock Purdy? Jared Goff. So they should be able to survive that. I think the fact that they were able to survive this, this Purdy performance and still put up 24 points. I know, obviously, they got help from the defense. They got a, a couple of turnovers, especially in the second half. I think it's a good sign for them. It, it very much felt like a, a playoff game in San Francisco when Jimmy G was the quarterback. And usually, they lo- lose those types of games where the quarterback is just so bad that all the talent around them can't overcome it. I think this 49ers team that they've built around the quarterback position is too good to fail. Like it, Purdy really has to have a stinker for them to lose Next week, I think, in my opinion, I don't think either team, Tampa Bay, especially not Tampa Bay, but Detroit stands a chance unless Purdy has like a horror show. That's the one thing I'll say. But like, even still, even though Kyle wasn't necessarily like leaning on the run game, you still got an impact from Christian McCaffrey. He's that good where it doesn't matter how many carries he's getting. He's going to impact the game. Brandon Ayuk, he wasn't getting good service from Purdy all game. Even on like the last third down conversion, where Purdy kind of throws it at his knees and like Ayuk is running, has to reach back, catch it at his knees. Like that was a great catch by him. But like, they're just going to make up for it. Juwan Jennings is like the most clutch player in football. Suddenly. Right? He's making like leaping throws, adjustments in the in midair over the middle where balls tend to get dropped and he's making tough catches. But unless like Purdy has a D minus F game, like it's very hard for this team to lose because they just have such a margin for error that no other team in this conference, especially enjoys. I mean, that's if you're if you're on the 49ers side, that is definitely the better way to look at it and the more encouraging way to look at it going forward in the playoffs. And it's it's not that I don't think that that's within the realm of of possibility or even likelihood, I guess. I think how much Purdy struggled kind of masks how little Green Bay did defensively. Um, I mean, they they gave up a lot on anything that was in breaking. Um, they really struggled to defend. The second level was really weak. That last drive, I mean, he made a couple of those nice throws to the sideline, but in general, all of a sudden, that was sort of like, okay, if you just don't miss by two yards, 
right. this is what it looks like against this Joe Barry defense. And it's just like uh, some of the clock management stuff we can talk about. It's, to me, I was just sitting there yelling at my television. Like if you're, if you're going to play like this, just let them score. Just, just let them score. Just if they're going to score a touchdown at the end of this drive. And Jordan Love ended up with a minute and seven seconds to, to try to make something of it. And obviously, you know, the, the last pick was a bad pick. Um, yeah. But I think if a quarterback had had a, a even competent night, they would have put up some pretty significant points. Uh, and so I, I don't think, I mean, obviously the conditions are the adverse quality of the environment, but I think they were in a pretty friendly environment in terms of how, what they were facing on the other side of the field. Um, so uh, I really feel like if you're green Bay, I mean, it sh- this shouldn't be hard to stomach, right? You are so far away uh, ahead of schedule in terms of where Jordan love is, where the rest of this team is. You want a playoff game and you lose by three points to the number one seed to the 49ers who've had all this playoff experience, all this success. Uh, that should feel great. I, I wonder, honestly, if it is pretty tough to swallow and in a lot of ways tougher to swallow than, you know, the Ravens losing by 24 to a team that was, sorry, the Texans, not the Ravens, losing by 24 to a team that was just clearly better than them because the Packers played a better game. Like the, the yes. Packers should have won this game. The Packers were pretty clearly the better team, but... Wait, wait, let me let me stop you there. Let me ask you a question. Were they the better team or did they have the better quarterback? I think they were the better team. Now, the you know, if you make the pie chart of that, a huge amount of it is tied up in the fact that they had the better quarterback. But it, I mean, just overall, like the way that they were able to move the ball was substantially better than than San Francisco. I guess defensively, yeah. uh, you know, San Francisco's gets the nod there. Um Special teams, I guess, is kind of a wash, right? Because Green Bay got a bunch of big plays, but they missed the field goal. I, I take your point, and a lot of it is the quarterback. But as a whole, the 49ers got out outplayed, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. But just going back to your original point about the, the concern about Purdy, I think there is concern. There should be concern with a performance like this. But I think that's more long-term concern, like because it might not rain next week. And it's definitely not going to rain in the Super Bowl because they're playing indoors. It's going to rain in San Francisco again. Right. Sometimes it rains. Like, it happens a couple times per season. If your quarterback isn't viable in the rain, like, much less good in the rain. This team it, it is based in a metropolitan area whose, like, most famous quality is fog. It is a <laughs> precipitation-related natural element. It can't be that he just simply cannot play in the rain. Like we we can't do this. And it's so, it's like kind of fascinating, but also kind of maddening because they've been on this roller coaster of, Oh, we can, we can win with a limited quarterback. We just need someone who can run Kyle's system. And Oh no, just kidding. We've got to trade all these picks for Trey Lance and see if we can get someone who has, you know, plus athletic ability and can be a playmaker. And Oh no, just kidding. That didn't work out, but Brock Purdy's here and, and he's got a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more playmaking ability. Uh, but he's more in the propped up by the system category and that's okay. And this is such a silly conversation to be happening, having in some ways, because like, what if they win the Super Bowl? They're not, they're, they're not going to have a conversation about 
replacing Brock Birdie, but he he can't play in the rain. Right. Are you calling him a, a clear skies merchant? <laughs> yes. I guess. Like it's just silly. Like it's just it's just like a silly thing. You you have you ever flown into that airport? You're you're like you don't know where you are. You're just wrapped in like gauze and then all of a sudden you're on the ground. It's it's foggy there all the time. Put a roof on that stadium if you're going to sign Brock Purdy. Okay? Of course. This is, you find a way. The 49ers to put- should just travel with a roof and be like, when they go to away games and it starts raining. <laughs> like, do you could mind if we put play? a roof on? Over- could, could he get one of those umbrella hats? Like, could they attach it to his helmet? Like, just one of those on big, yeah, with the, you know, like, they got to do something. I don't know. It's a problem. Like I, I we're laughing about it, and like I think people are going to write it off, like they did with the Browns game. But when your quarterback can't throw in elements, like it is a problem, and like it, that has to factor in. It just has to factor into decision making when you're d- deciding whether this is the guy you're going to roll with for the next five years, presumably. Like I, I feel like it has to matter, and I don't think it will. I think it will matter. In games like this, I mean, it, it will... Right, no, no, but I mean, like, in, like contract negotiation, or then deciding, they're not going to be like, if they win a Super Bowl, like you said, you're not going to be like, ah, well, you remember that, those two times when he couldn't throw in the rain? But maybe they should say that, because it's, like we have said, it's going to rain in the future, so... I mean, first of all, it's, it's, it's not like this is the only example of this guy being somewhat limited, right? Like, right, yeah. this was a... a Bad Brock Purdy game. This was the worst game I've seen Brock Purdy play since the last time they they played another team that's still alive in the playoffs. So it's it's not just a one game bad elements. That's a good point, sample yeah. of when he's facing tough competition. It's not great. This I if, we'll move on. There's so much to talk about from this game. I, there's no interest in ragging on Brock Purdy for the sake of ragging on Brock Purdy. There's like honestly a a online football narrative conversation that I could not possibly want to be a part of less. But like, this was bad. He, he, his best plays were, except for two throws on that last drive, involved receivers, like really contorting themselves in order to make catches that were not thrown near their hands, near the center of their body. And there were, five or six throws in this game where it was just, it just like it landed somewhere completely random. And I mean, you know, you have to go back and, and figure out, did someone, maybe there's other forms of miscommunication and someone was supposed to be somewhere they broke at the wrong level or blah, 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 blah. But like, it's pretty uncommon. I feel to watch a, a quarterbacking performance and see so many throws where you're just like, I don't know who he was. What was he like? What was going on? Where was that supposed to go? And this is the second round of the playoffs. Like it's it's just it's just weird to be having this conversation. But yeah, whatever. It was raining, so I guess it's fine. But if we see the light draining out of Kyle Shanahan's eyes, this might have something to do with why. Um, not that Kyle was uh, totally innocent himself here. No. The end of half clock management where it seemed like they weren't trying to score or they were just playing to get to halftime. They did end up getting a setup for the field goal kick, but it got blocked. Um, So they went into the the half up seven, six was really, really questionable. I guess he was vindicated for the end of game 
management where he really just made it about that one possession. And then LaFleur kind of did him some favors with not calling timeouts while uh, Green Bay was playing defense. And that ended up being either the right decision or a vindicated decision. Um, But I didn't think that this was like a great showing for Kyle clock manager. Um, I feel like I'm being really negative. What it like, what did, what did the 49ers do well in this game? (laughs) They're going to the NFC championship game. Let's, let's give them some compliments. I mean, I think they won a game where they played poorly. Like that is an accomplishment. And it was in like, a unique environment. I guess it's not that unique. We keep harping on the rain, but it is unique to their quarterback. The effect it has on him, and they were able to survive. Like these performances usually send teams home. Like Baltimore in 2019, when they ran into a, a team that nobody gave a chance in Tennessee, and Baltimore played its worst game of the season, they went home. This was one of the worst games we've seen out of this offense all year long. It was one of the worst games, like you said, that we've seen out of Brock Purdy, and they won against a. Uh, an opponent that I think, like, I know their seed is it. What are they, the seventh seed in the NFC? This is one of the 10 best teams in football. And they were able to right. survive their C game against one of the 10 best teams in football in unique uh, circumstances for their quarterback. I think that's a positive. But I, I would be more worried about Kyle's performance, at least as it pertains to the rest of this this postseason because that's the worry with Kyle. No one, no one's really worried about his play calling, but game management has been an issue with him time and time again. And it usually shows up on these big moments. And this was another big moment where if they lose this game. Of course, like Brock Purdy's getting a lot of shit, but I think Kyle it, is in for one hell of an off season if they lose this game. And the, it, for him, that's always the case. It's, it's kind of like a Dak Prescott thing where like, it's what have you done for me lately with Kyle, especially in the playoffs, because he has, I don't want to say he's blown the leads himself, but his teams have blown significant leads in the Super Bowl on the stage. And I don't think he can survive another one of those. And this was another one of those embarrassing, or this would have been another one of those embarrassments, but he got through it at the same time. It's the same mistakes. He's always making time management, whether to be conservative or aggressive before the half when to call timeouts, when to use your timeouts. There was a lot of like end, end of the play clock situations where they had to use timeouts. And that's a thing with him all the time. The fact that he and LaFleur both had all of their timeouts going into that, those final two drives was like, not what I would have anticipated. No, those are two, those are two men that love a good timeout. Love a good timeout. Love to call a timeout. Um, so credit where it's due, I suppose. But like for me, I'm not really taking a lot from this game from the 49ers perspective because of the rain. And maybe that that's a, a fault of my analysis, but like, I really don't think this is a game that's useful for like predicting what's going to happen next with the 49ers, unless it rains next week. Have we checked the weather report? There are on average 68 days of rain per year in San Francisco. No, I didn't check the weather forecast next week, um, but we'll hope for sunny skies. Mostly sunny. I just checked. Few. Thank 49ers going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and then, and Las Vegas, a desert. Perfect. Perfect situation. Everything is solved. Hey, I'm going to be there. I'll bring sprinklers if I have to. My job's on the line here. <laughs> <Bring> a, little, <laughs> a little spray bottle. <laughs> like when they, you ever do that with your cat? Yeah, yeah. Like if your cat's like chewing on something or misbehaving, you're just a little yeah, spray. That's what I'm going to do. That's I'm going to spray Brock Purdy with this. 
I think I could get Mark Davis on board with this. He doesn't want to see the 49ers win a championship. I know they moved from Oakland, but that's still a rivalry. I could probably convince Mark. The Raiders facilities, first of all, they are like a, a, a global warming nightmare. Because they've constructed this like very like indoor outdoor facility, and also it's like a hundred degrees there during training camp. So they have, but then you like walk underneath, you walk into this sort of like garage where they have all of the gym stuff, and somehow it's sixty eight degrees, and it's just like this can't be good. This can't be a good idea. Um, <laughs> but they have all of these like big uh, spritzing machines, so he's got it. He's got the technology. All right. This is like, okay, we got it. We got to get in touch with Mark Davis. When it comes to the NFL playoffs, you've got to win one game at a time. But when you bet the NFL playoffs on FanDuel, one game can mean a lot of wins. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, has all your favorite bets like the money line and the spread, plus all sorts of prop bets. Me, myself, I prefer a same game parlay. And right now, every day there's an NFL playoff game, FanDuel is giving all customers a no sweat same game parlay. That means when you combine all of your bets for a chance at a bigger payday, you'll get bonus bets back if your SGP doesn't win. Just visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNFL if you don't already have an account. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. Minimum three-leg parlay required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. I really want to talk about Jordan Love. Let's do it. The last play was, was tough. I mean, it, you don't throw across your body like that. He's He's been the, the king of the fadeaway, but that was like, really, that was falling, not fading. Mm-hmm. But I don't want that to be the lasting take because... He played such a good game and he's, he did so much to mask how good San Francisco is defensively. And I mean, just the way that he deals with pressure is so good. It is such an asset for them. And for a game where it felt like it was sort of like, who's going to make the last mistake. Like this was a really interesting game. It was really entertaining game, but it felt like a game that was defined by like fuck ups. Um, of just like, oh, they missed a field goal. Oh, like, here's this drop. Here's this interception. I thought Jordan Love, I mean, and you know, he did, he threw ultimately two picks in this game, but he, he was the player where I was like, thank God someone knows what they're doing. <laughs> um, what did, I mean, you've, you've been on his game from the start. What did you think about his performance? Yeah, I think that's what stood out. Like the, these damn fadeaways. Sometimes they, Sometimes they burn you like it did at the end, but I think that's the trait. Like that's capital T, the trait for quarterbacks, especially now, is being able to have some answer for pressure in your face, whether it's making the back foot throws, whether or it's like a Tom Brady situation where you just shuffle over in the pocket, find new space, and then reset and throw. Like I think that's like the common thread that connects all of these quarterbacks like across generations, like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, uh, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, like all of these guys, one thing that they're all really good at is avoiding sacks. And Jordan Love has that. 
And he has it because of this arm and like, he's like a multi-directional thrower. Like that's not even a term I've ever heard anyone talk about using football, but like, that's the only way I can describe yeah. how he can throw the football. He can go to his right, go to his left, he'd be going forward. He can go in backwards. He can go in like diagonally. And I think that's the trait that you need to have to be an elite quarterback in the modern NFL. That's why I'm so skeptical of guys like Brock Purdy, who I, I think like Brock Purdy is a good off-platform thrower for a guy that we consider like not super talented, but you see when he has to throw from a, a an awkward platform where when he has to make a fadeaway throw, that ball floats. He can't put zip on the ball. And I think one thing that Jordan Love proved in this game, even though we saw the, la- the last few mistakes, was that that skill plays against an elite defense and an uh, elite pass rush. Right. And I thought what was really impressive about this performance is like, I know the names have changed and like some of the players have changed, the coordinators have changed. But this 49ers defense is similar to the 49ers defense that took on Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback in the playoffs. And we saw how much their dominance broke the offense when they pressured Aaron Rodgers. Right. It did not happen against Jordan Love. He didn't get sacked. And that's not to say, like, Jordan Love's a better player than Aaron Rodgers because in Aaron Rodgers' Rodgers' prime, when he was Jordan Love's age, he could do all this. He could do everything Jordan Love's doing at a be- at a higher clip. He was way better than him at his prime. But like that was the one thing that I thought Aaron Rodgers lost over the last couple of years, even when he was winning MVP. And it's kind of the thing that had been missing from Green Bay's offense, and they got it back this year. And I know how it ended, but we still saw glimpses of that on the biggest stage of Jordan Love's career. And I think that's a positive sign. If I'm a Green Bay fan, like I'd be disappointed in how the game ended because they were in the lead, they had the ball. It was right there for him. But like when you when you sleep on it, you have a night to sleep on it, you take a step back, you take a breath, like this was everything you wanted to see as a Packers fan. It's a really interesting conversation in terms of like where the league is going because and look, you know, they're both part of losing efforts, but the two quarterbacks who we saw play today, the two rookie or not rookie quarterbacks, but like first year starting quarterbacks who we would not necessarily have expected to see in this position at the beginning of the year and and are with their teams ahead of schedule, CJ Stroud and Jordan Love, neither one of them took a sack today. Both of them were facing defenses that got a lot of pressure. Neither one of them took a sack. So in terms of mm-hmm. that being sort of like the, the trait, there's a pretty good argument for that based on how these young quarterbacks performed overall on this day, again, it would be nice to have a win to show for it, but these are young teams. I mean, when we think about the off seasons and sort of like where they go from here, the Packers have an interesting situation with the contracts and what to do, but like, they'll figure that out. Right. And there'll be a day on Twitter where everybody, you know, puts their economist hat on and goes like, this was a team friendly deal, or this is a player friendly deal, but it won't matter. Like Jordan loves going to play for the Packers. And it's fine. Packers off season. Then other like, I think it's probably too much to ask for a sort of schematic overhaul of, of the defense. I wish it weren't, but I think it, it I think it is. Um, so then what are your priorities? You want to get better at the the second level? You want to get better at safety? Would be good. You want to have a little bit more of a fighting chance if the game does become about those inbreakers and and you want to have a better chance of defending that. I mean... Everyone always needs cornerbacks. Everyone always needs backup offensive linemen. In Houston, it's sort of like, yeah, you'd love to get a, a another really good receiver in there. That's great. 
all that's great. Like that's a nice, those are, those are the first world problems of off seasons. So in general, the outlook is so positive. It's like, um, I don't know. I find this hard to swallow for green Bay. I thought they had them. It just felt like they were the team that could move the ball down the field and I guess not quite score. Let me, let me push back against one thing you said. I think they should overhaul the defense. If Joe Barry's the DC for this team next year, I will lose any faith I have left in Matt. I'm not saying I I'm not saying that I don't think they should. I just don't think they will. Oh yeah. Well that that's a different conversation. Please. No, they absolutely they absolutely should. They I just don't think they will. I think they need to look at what Minnesota did and do that. And it's not Brian Flores, but like find Brian Flores light. Find a guy that's gonna come in and it'd be like, yeah, I'll blitz 50% of the time if you want me to. I'll just do it. like that's the type of defense I think they should play if if they're not going to be able to like restructure the back half of this defense, which is I think is a more massive undertaking than just simply changing defensive coordinators. Every problem that you could talk about with Green Bay's defense from a personnel perspective is something you could have said about Minnesota last offseason. And we saw what happened. Like, I hire Wink Martindale. He's available. <laughs> That's the guy. Oh God, I just, he just popped in my head. Go hire Wink, please. It would be great. They would be a better team for it. I don't think Joe Barry's losing his job. I just, I don't think no. that that's happening. It's it's kind of tough when you have like a coach from that coaching tree, like the 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 Shanahan McVay guys. Like they are very innovative, but a lot of nepotism going on in that. This is it's a little little, little <laughs> it's a nepo bit. baby coaching tree, and I don't. I think like they really love Joe Barry, and he's a part of their their crew, and I don't think they're going to give up on him that easy. I think that would be my one concern, but. If they do, go for a Blitz boy, please. Go for a Blitz boy. Let that be the headline. Could you imagine if Wink was in this game calling Blitz's cover zero against Brock Purdy <laughs> and can't throw the ball? Boy. It would have been fun. It would have been a fun day. But um, unfortunately, I'm sorry. I will never get over go for a Blitz boy. Do we know what the relationship status between Shanahan and LaFleur is these days? Because those two are my favorite frenemies. Like, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of like, you bitch. Yeah, I think there's a little uh, tension there. There has to be. And I think like with them, the fact that they play each other in the playoffs can't be helping that relationship. I feel like coaches right. are like always right. friends and then they play each other. And then like, that's the end of the friendship. And then it's over. <laughs> we can't handle this. We cannot get past this. Okay. It's just, I just want to, they looked very friendly after the game. It seemed fine. Um, I just think the ups and downs of, of that particular relationship are kind of funny. Let me talk about Lamar. I want to talk about Lamar. Okay, go. Lamar Jackson. I'm not so sure that Lamar Jackson isn't the best player in football right now. And that includes Patrick Mahomes. Wow. Okay, make the case. Okay, there are three players that win that game today or like perform well enough for their offense to score 30 plus points. In that game, he was under pressure on half of his dropbacks. Houston blitzed him 75% of the time. Can we talk about that for one second? Like, that's unhinged. They blitz in the, normally they blitz like 22% of the time. Right. 75% of the time, nobody was open downfield. Like, he was getting instant pressure. Nobody was getting open. And like, he would just like, I don't even know how to explain it because it's not running, but he would like kind of just shuffle back a couple feet. And then all of a sudden, like, he'd be out of pressure and like it. He never sprinted the whole game unless he was like running in the open field. And the Texans players just couldn't catch him. The pass rushers, they got a couple sacks on him, but that was only when like the pocket closed in and it got instant pressure. 
it was an amazing performance. And like the most impressive part of it wasn't the 100 yards rushing or like the the four touchdowns. It was like the quick game, the boring stuff. Like that was the adjustment they made in the second half against the Blitz. They wanted Lamar to, they were just like, be Tom Brady. Like, I know you were trying to be Lamar Jackson the first half, just be Tom Brady this half. And he did it and he finished with averaging like 0.4 EPA per play. He had like a 60% success rate. These are Patrick Mahomes MVP year numbers in a situation where he's getting blitzed 75% of the time and pressured on 50% of those blitzes. He was under duress all game long. They didn't have a run game like on the designed runs until the fourth quarter. They had a a 19% success rate going into the fourth quarter, and that includes Lamar Jackson's runs. You take his runs out, I don't know what their success rate would have been. It would have been like 5% or 10%. (laughs) They were averaging minus 0.19 EPA over the first three quarters of the game, and they had 30 points, or they had like 24 points, and they scored shortly after that. But this guy was just like, it didn't matter what Houston did, and like, after the game, that was like the theme with the Texans players. And D'Amico Ryans was like, man, he just started making plays and there's like nothing we could do about it in the second half. And like, that's what the Texans players were seeing. And that's what I saw on the field. And it was like amazing to watch. Obviously, the defense did a lot. They didn't let the Texans score and they dominated the game and they made things very easy for Baltimore's offense. But when the ball was in Baltimore's hands, it was all Lamar. And that was a good thing. And that's usually not a good thing for an NFL team, especially in the playoffs. I mean, that was that that's what the Ravens sort of were as a team. I mean, they they all told the story and Lamar told the story after the game about halftime because, you know, this was a tie game at the half. It was it they hadn't really found the answer offensively yet. And he, according to all the players, all the post-game reports, all the stuff out of the locker room and, and what Jackson said in his press conference, he ripped into everybody. And it was Jackson leading the the halftime meeting. And he wouldn't say exactly what he said. He said it would be inappropriate if I said it right now. He said he cussed a lot, though. But, yep, he, he uh, said some swear words and got everybody riled up and it apparently worked. But it does seem like a token of the way that this has just become really his team and the way that his leadership has just taken on a new level this season. I mean, he's always like very clearly always been a very popular player. Teammates love him. It's not like that wasn't true before, but this feels like his team in terms of how he's playing, but also in terms of the intangible stuff, the locker room stuff, the, the, you know, team leader stuff in a way that it hasn't before. And, you know, I'm, I've read a, a tweet during this game. that was like, it's the first player in NFL history with two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, a hundred rushing yards and a 100 plus passer rating. I was like, Oh yeah. Like postseason. It's not in the postseason, just ever. He's just the first player that's ever done that, like in in the history of the NFL. And I don't know, the Mahomes conversation, I think, is so complicated. But there's certainly no one who's playing better football than he is right now. And this, this Ravens team, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because they sort of had something to prove at the beginning of the season. But our wonderful colleague, Ben Solak, put out in the middle of this game just some of their recent results against playoff teams. And so they end up beating Houston by 24 in this game. But in the regular season, they played 
playoff teams eight times. They went six and two in, the, in those games. Their point differential was 121, was plus 121. They beat the Dolphins by 37. They beat the 49ers by 14. They beat the Rams in overtime by six. The only two games that they lost, they lost by two to Cleveland. Um, they lost by seven to the Steelers. So they lost two division games. Um, they beat the Lions by 32. They beat the Browns by 25. They beat the Texans by 16. I, I think because like, maybe it's just sort of the trajectory. Maybe it's because they had some games with where they seemed kind of mistake prone at the beginning of the season. I don't think they're recognized as quite the dominant team that they are. And I know that they, they, you know, it took a minute to get going in the first half. And maybe some of that is, is having some time off. And maybe some of that is just figuring out how to adjust to this game plan that like was interesting um, from D'Amico Ryan's and, and, uh, you know, you love to see a team go out swinging, but I don't know that even though it does make some sense, I don't know that you would ever go into a game expecting to be blitzed 75% of the time. Um, so maybe they just needed a little bit of time to adjust to that. But this was a really dominant performance. This has been a really dominant team against top competition. They seem to play their best. That's been true for months. I mean, we had a, a conversation off of the 49ers game about like, okay, you know, say they end up facing the Lions in the championship game. Who do we feel good about? Who do we feel bad about? What would the matchup between Goff and Purdy be? You know, how limited are these guys? This, I, I don't want my take to be like the Super Bowl is going to be a blowout, but I mean, this team is, this team is just really good. The Ravens are just really good. Yeah, it's we haven't even talked about the defense yet. And like, I it's kind of amazing that CJ Stroud didn't play a worse game. Like, I know his numbers didn't end up looking great at the end. He didn't really make a lot of plays, but like Mike McDonald dominated Bobby Slowick. And, and by the way, we need to pump the brakes on the Bobby Slowick head coaching hype because that was a brutal performance from him. He had no answers for anything Mike yeah. McDonald was doing. It was a I, I thought it was a naive performance. I thought they tried to run way too much way in the first half much. the first down. Oh, that was PFF Bobby needs a, a few more years. <laughs> PFF Bobby having Devin Singletary up the middle for minus one yard on first and 10 over <laughs> and over and over again. But, and I don't want to make too much about this win, but I think like from a narrative standpoint, it was a huge win for Baltimore. It, like going back to 2019, it felt like they were kind of in danger of falling into that same trap, going up against an AFC, AFC South opponent that was hev a heavy underdog. They're coming off this season where Lamar looks like the MVP. They're scoring a bunch of points. And then in the first half, they come out flat and they're, it, the game is competitive. Houston is driving, about to kick a field goal. Like the, the stadium was rocking all first half, but it was quiet during that drive after that uh, third down completion by Stroud. But then Lamar, like I just, obviously the defense helped again, but Lamar just took the game over from there. But I think the fact that it was a blitz heavy approach kind of like, just brought up a lot of memorable, ugly performances for this offense, including that Tennessee game. After that Tennessee game, Logan Ryan, after the game, was like, our plan was just to blitz the hell out of him. Engage eight if you've played Madden. Like, that's the play call. Just blitz them, force them to either beat us one-on-one -on -one by throwing to the outside, or if they want to run the ball, we're going to shut down the run. That was basically the same plan Houston had. Except sort of like... <laughs> On steroids. And a little, and four years too late. Right. Because, <laughs> like, you maybe you could beat Lamar Jackson and the Ravens with that plan back then, but I think that's what this game proved is, like, this is a different team. 
And like all the skepticism about this team is kind of stems from that 2019 loss. And I think they answered that question. I think Lamar answered that question by beating a similar game plan. I think Todd Munkin justified the move from Greg Roman because Greg Roman could never adjust against the Blitz. There was that one Thursday night game against Miami where my aunt, Brian Flores was the coach and just cover zero, cover zero, yeah. cover zero every fucking play. And they didn't have an answer. Their answer was throwing the original Blitz boy to Hollywood Brown, who weighs 110 pounds. Uh, it, it didn't work. It, but Ro, uh, not Roman, Munkin, after the game, John Harbaugh said he called a completely different game in the second half. And I I just don't think they had that plan B. They didn't have that second pitch with Roman as the, the offensive coordinator. And a lot of that was put on Lamar. Like they were like, oh, if you take away the run game, Lamar struggles. No, you didn't. That w- It wasn't Lamar. Right. It was the shitty receiving core, and it was the shitty offensive coordinator who had no drop-back passing game. <laughs> There's a reason why they hire a, a pass game coordinator, and you don't see those around the league. There's a reason why Greg Roman always needs one, because he doesn't have a pass game. and. It was just cool to see Lamar under these similar circumstances that we've seen this team fail under in the past, in the postseason. And he didn't fail. He dominated. He imposed his will. And I can't wait to see him go up against Allen or Mahomes next week because I think he's going to outplay whichever one comes across. Like I, He's the best player in football right now. It's really exciting. I, whatever that game ends up being, that AFC Championship game, it's going to be really, really fun. The conversations that we've had about who the best quarterback is are like, it's always been Allen or Mahomes. Like, it's been Mahomes for the most part, but whenever anyone's challenged uh, Mahomes, it's been Allen. We got to put Lamar in that conversation from now on. I don't care, even care what happens next week. He is in that conversation. Yeah. I think, look, like, I, I think on some level, the Ravens are probably happy that they somehow still do, I think, fly a little bit under the radar in terms of just how, how, scary they are Lamar's about to win his second MVP the prior narrative stuff is so sticky and it it shouldn't be but I think they're a really good example of how that that really is tough to shed because it does feel like he's not in like in that general conversation and he absolutely should be based on how he's playing like based on what you see him do but also it's it's like a little there's sort of a dissonance there, right? Like he's he's about to win his second MVP. Like how is this guy not in that conversation? But you're right. Like when we have that when we have it, it's Allen versus Mahomes. But those three quarterbacks, the three quarterbacks who are still alive in the AFC playoffs, like I think there's a really good argument that Lamar's playing better than both of them. But the idea that it's a two-man conversation is is really silly. And if if nothing else, we should be that far. But I think we should be even further. And along. if if Lamar does win next week, it'll help. That means he'll have a Super Bowl trip and two MVPs. Do you know who has none of that? Josh Allen. But somehow <laughs> he doesn't get questioned, and he he is not as good of a passer as Lamar Jackson is. Josh, and never has been. Sports so weird. So we talked about Bobby Slowick, who did not have the greatest showing. Uh, however, still an in-demand coaching candidate. It's got interviews with the Titans, the Seahawks, the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Commanders. That's going to be a big part of their offseason. Um, one way or another is just, you know, are you, are you losing your offensive coordinator? Are you losing your offensive play caller? And the guy who has primarily worked with Stroud during the season, you know, Bobby Slowick is only human. We certainly saw that today. I, I, it's not that they can't overcome that, but particularly with a young defensive-minded head coach and a young quarterback who 
I mean, his results in this offense have been so good. You know, I think if you're in Houston, you're sort of crossing your fingers and and hoping a little bit that you got another year or something and and maybe some of those teams decide to go in a different different direction. Beyond that, what do you think is next for the Texans? I mean, they have a lot of free agents. I don't know if you saw the Adam Schefter tweet. He's like <laughs> tweeted just out like a like a wall of free agents. No no indentation. It wasn't a list. It was just a paragraph of free agents that they have and there are a lot of like I would say like B tier players There are no like huge names on the list, but a lot of good role players that I think they need to sign. But I think it's going to be fine because it doesn't matter when you have a quarterback that good. And like, that was my second takeaway from this game. I know that, like I said earlier, the numbers weren't great. They scored 10 points. They didn't score in the second half, but Stroud was so impressive to me. Just managing that pressure, managing a, a terrible game where they were terribly outmatched on that side of the ball, not making any mistakes, not taking any sacks. Uh, he made a couple plays when he had a chance to, but like the fact that he didn't throw downfield, that was all Baltimore. Like that was their defense taking away the shot plays that Bobby Sloak has kind of powered this offense on. And I think that's where they need to take the next step is I think Bobby Sloak on the, uh, the, the McVay Shanahan spectrum, he, he falls a little bit too much on the Kyle side. I think he needs to learn a little drop back passing game from, from McVay because that was, I think that's what stood out the most to me is that when Baltimore took away the play action stuff and they took away the runs on early downs, like they didn't really have a comprehensive drop back passing game. And the thing about Stroud is like, he can handle that. He right. isn't Jared Goff. He isn't Jimmy G. Like you don't need to put him in this type of offense. And like, that's why I'm a little more skeptical of Bobby Sloan because like what you would assume is that they're doing it because they feel like they have to. Like, I, I'm not going to run this comprehensive drop back passing game because I don't know if my quarterback can handle it. Stroud can handle it. Like, he is one of the best rookie dropback passers I've ever seen. Like, I'm putting him up, him up there with Herbert. I'm putting him up there with Andrew Luck. And, like, those two are the best I've ever seen. He can handle it. And I, I think that's what has to happen next is the evolution of the scheme, not necessarily the quarterback. And that's a coaching thing. It, yeah, I wonder what will happen. And if there is a coaching change... Maybe it ends up being for the best. I mean, I I don't know. I think Bobby Slowick, he's in general had such a good se- season as not just as someone who's worked with a rookie like Stroud, who's had the season that he's had, but I think he's a good, I think he's good in games. I think he's a good play sequencer. Uh, I think just the yeah. way that he's gotten the most out of a lot of young players is, is impressive. So obviously they don't want to lose him. Um, but it's been one year though. It's, it's been, been one year. year. And it's interesting to think about what needs to come next for that offense being sort of like a little bit, a little bit of an evolution in that way and just sort of growing up and, and having a comprehensive dropback game. But that's for the offseason. We will get there eventually. Did you see Harbaugh dancing after the game? I have not seen it. He was asked okay. about it in the press conference, you but I did not see it. Up, Stephen. Uh, uh, maybe we'll leave up, it there. I'm going to look it up right now. <laughs> it's just really bad. It's just some really excellent bad dad dance moves. Based on the thumbnail on YouTube, it looks horrible. I I almost don't want to watch this. It's it's like Oh no. It's a dad at a wedding is really what it's giving. But I I love the enthusiasm. Oh, I'm watching it now. This is terrible. He should be fined. Okay, right. everything I said good about the Ravens earlier, I'm taking that back. They should have been they should be eliminated from the playoffs now. The Texans should be able to advance. 
That was offensive. All right. On that note. And problematic. <laughs> this has been Dual Threat on the Ringer NFL Show feed. Uh, I'm Nora Pinciati. As always, he's Stephen Rees. We'll be back tomorrow night recapping the rest of Divisional Weekend. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Christopher Sutton for producing this episode. Thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for his work on socials and to Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramapal for additional production supervision. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC, Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-IN-INDIANA, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.